0: Well, good morning, New Life Church. Good to be with you here this morning. Um, And also, happy birthday to Ray. I believe it's his 60th birthday today, Ray. Pray that the Lord would give you another 60 beautiful years. So, last week we were looking at Hebrews chapter 10. We did a, a once off New Year's message from Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. But this morning we go back to our series in 1 John. We're doing a series through the letters of John. After 1 John, we'll go to 2 John and then 3 John as well. Uh, but today, in God's providence and in His perfect timing, uh, we continue looking at the exhortation that he's given to the church, the church to, to love one another. Last week we saw in Hebrews 10, the Lord telling the church not to forsake the gathering of the saints. And if you were part of the, the home groups this week, I'm sure you had some good discussions about the importance of us coming together to encourage, to exhort, and to edify each other to, to love and good works. So today we continue in that theme, and of course, all for all, all for the reason that, that our, our loves would, uh, sorry, our our, lo- our faith would not be in vain. And as James tells us, work without um, faith without works is dead. So let's turn to First John chapter four. We'll read from verse seven to twelve this morning. but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this wonderful truth this morning that you loved us even while we were yet in our sins, and that you sent your Son to be this propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice, to make this atonement that was required for our sins. So, Lord, this is a, a deep subject, and the temptation is to rather than listen and be encouraged and engaged but the temptation would be to, to drift and to wander and to maybe even switch off. So we pray, Lord, that that would not be the case this morning. We pray that your spirit would open our ears, that he would open our eyes, and that he would open our hearts to the, the truth of your word, and that we would be doers of your word, Lord, that we would not just be the hearers, and that our faith would be exercised, and it would be put into action. So Lord, we pray for your help this morning, and may you be glorified by our response. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, the church father, Jerome, said that when the apostle John was in his extreme old age, he was very weak. He was so weak that he had to be carried into the, into the church meetings. At the end of the meeting, he would, be, he would be helped to his feet to give a word of exhortation to the church. And invariably, he would repeat the same message. He would say, little children, let us love one another. And of course, the disciples began to grow weary of the same words every week, every time. And they, finally, they finally, finally asked the apostle why he always said the same thing over and over again. Well, his reply was simple. Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if this is the only one that is done, it is enough. So even though this is the third time that we are going, going back to look at this subject of love, it's not because John has run out, run out, run out of ideas or, or things to write about. It means that the Holy Spirit of God who inspired these words really wants us to understand how important this the subject is and first we saw previously that love for the brethren is proof is proof that you have fellowship with god we saw that in chapter two already and secondly we saw in chapter three chapter three it, it is evidence that we are, are a child of god so not only that we are walking with god But also that we are saved in the first place. The love for God and the love for others is proof of this. And here in our text we get down to the very foundation of why we should be loving each other. And here we get to discover why love is such an important part of a Christian's life. Why it's so integral in a Christian's life. So my first point this morning is from verse 7 to verse 8. We should love one another because God is love. And we see that from our text. We have seen previously in our studies from 1 John that there are many ways that the English word for love has been translated, or the Greek word for love has been translated into English. And in our text again this morning, John uses the Greek word agape. And the word agape is that sacrificial love. It is that unconditional love the perfect sacrificial love and the apostle john challenges our definition this morning he challenges our definition of love by having us to consider who is the creator who is the creator of everything and the one who who tells us now to love look at verse seven look at verse seven there john states that love is from god himself Love is from God himself. And then he goes on further. Look at verse 8 there. He says that God is love. So not only is, is he the source, but he is love itself. And John shows us that the source of this genuine, sacrificial, unconditional love. And then he draws us into a conclusion, which we will apply later on. But the key to practicing This agape love is closely tied, of course, to where this agape love comes from. And John tells us in verse 7 that agape love is from God himself. And John goes on to say that everyone who is born of God and knows God will love. It is safe to say that obviously the reverse is also true. Everyone who is born of God loves. Everyone who is born of God loves. And those who don't love are not born of God. To demonstrate this agape love, John tells us this is a direct consequence of a a status when we are God's children. This is the status that, that we are defined with. In other words, no one can truly love biblically who has not been born again there are worldly types of love. And I'm not saying that the unbelievers in this world will not love. But there is a genuine type of love that John is talking about here. A biblical type of love that nobody else can love with if they are not born of God. And that's plainly what this text is speaking to us this morning. And of course, consequently, everybody in the world who has no relationship with, to the Lord God in heaven, by this regeneration, by this new birth, they cannot love properly. They will attempt to love in their, in their own way, but they cannot love the way the way God loves. Of course, even unbelievers demonstrate this. You know, we have unbelieving parents. They will often um, sacrifice for their children. They will often love their children or spouses will, will love each other in, in, a, in a sacrificial way. Even as unbelievers. And of course we think of soldiers in the army. Those people who, who lay down their lives who are, who are not Christians, who are unbelievers. They have a, they have a type of a, of a sacrificial love. But that's all part of God's common grace actually. It all comes from God's common grace for these unbelievers to, to show that type of love but this love which is caring and self-sacrificing that the world has can never be a genuine biblical love because unbelievers will always seek their good rather than the good of others and that's the difference there will always be some selfish aspect to their to their sacrifice there will always be some type of expectation in their, their love. Now, the other person, well, the unbelievers need to obviously know the love of God before they can love like God. And that's what John is wanting us to understand this morning. He wants us to know that whenever we see biblical love, whenever we see genuine biblical love, it doesn't originate from us. It's not natural. It's not something that, that we have in our own selves developed this biblical genuine love comes from God himself he is the source of this love he is the only source of genuine agape love that is in the world so the command in verse 7 go back to verse 7 beloved let us love one another it's a statement that is addressed to believers Because only believers would understand this, to those who know God personally. And the love that John is commanding us to practice is the love that involves the consuming passion for the well-being of others. This is not a worldly love. This is not a a love that that we do only when it's convenient for us. This is a supernatural type of love that God himself now is commanding us towards. And the false teachers remember the context of who John is writing to, the audience. And he's warning the the believers that the false teachers at that time, they claimed to know God in secret. They claimed to have a secret knowledge about God. They claimed to have a deeper sense, a deeper experience of God. But John is saying that, no, that is a lie. They do not know God at all because they do not love like God, and he was saying, "Look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. They are not born again because they do not practice biblical love." So he's saying to them, "It's it's easy to determine who are false teachers and who are true teachers by the way that they love. It's easy to determine who are true Christians and false Christians." By the practical love that they display. And of course, their teachings, the false teachers' teachings and their behaviors, simply promoted a selfish type of love. It did not promote Christ. And that is a false, worldly type of love. But as sinful human beings, we are all prone to that type of love. We're all prone to a, to a selfish kind of love. We tend to love those who will benefit us in some way or another. We tend to love those that are more lovable. We don't want to do the, the messy thing and love those that are, that are hard to love. We are prone to, to love those who are able to provide us with some type of a pleasure and some type of a, a satisfaction. It's almost like a transactional type of love. I'll love you if if you do this for me. I'll I'll do this if you do that for me. I'll wash the dishes if if you cook the food. A transactional type of, of love. But John is saying something different here. Most of us fit into the I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back mentality. But this is not the command that John is calling us to practice. One commentator F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary on 1 John, he provides an excellent definition of what agape love is. And he says, agape love involves a consuming passion for the well-being of others. And that's our definition this morning of agape love. If you want to write it down, if you have a notebook, I encourage you to do that. Or underline that word, agape. This is the definition. A consuming passion for the well-being of others. And this is an important distinction. It's important that we understand the difference because humanity is really predisposed to love in a, in a self-centered way, in a self-centered fashion. This is our default mode. We are selfish people. and We love those who, who love us. We love those who are, are good to us. But do you remember what Jesus says about this kind of love? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 32, and he asks a rhetorical question. He says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. A rhetorical question—a question that really doesn't need an answer, doesn't it? Why, why love like that? That's the way that the world loves. There's no difference. Shouldn't there be a difference between the way sinners love and the way Christians love? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. And when John commands us to love one another, he is commanding us to love without any regard for some type of merit without wanting to get something back in return. And he's commanding us to love those who have mistreated us. He's commanding us to love those who have been unkind to us. But why is John requiring that we love one another in this manner? That, that's, that's a question worth asking. Because this is the way that God loves. This is the way that God loves. John actually takes us one step further when he states in verse eight that God is love. God is love. So how then are we going to do this? You know, if we are predisposed, if our default mode is to love in a self centered fashion, how are we going to have this self giving agape love towards one another? Well, the truth is we cannot. The truth is we cannot unless first and foremost we are born again. We are born of God. We cannot expect people to love us like God loves us if they are not of God. So unless we have put on the new man, unless we have turned from our sin, unless we have forsaken our sins and put our faith in Christ... We ourselves cannot love like God wants us to love. But as born again believers, we have this ability. We have this ability because we have died to our old sinful selves, our selfish selves, and we have become new creatures in Christ. So the origin. The origin of true love is the nature of God Himself. The nature of God Himself. True, genuine love is bound up in the very essence of who God is. And this is why John can say that that those who practice agape love are born of God. While those who do not practice agape love demonstrate a worldly type of love. A love that shows that they are not of God. But John's main application here is that children take on the characteristics of their parents. For those of you who are parents here, I'm sure you have identified that even in your own children. Your children have similar type of quirks and similar type of habits as as you or or your spouse. And that's true even for us as, as Christians, isn't it? Children take on the characteristics of their parents. So if we have been born of God who is love and consequently have come to know Him, then we will be growing in this love. And remember this command here this morning is addressed to believers, to those who know Christ, to those who have put on Christ. And we need to take this to heart in a, in a very serious way. There are many implications That we need to be thinking about here. Of course there are many people who profess to be Christian. They claim to be born again. But they do not love others. And they do not make an effort to do so. They are angry. They are unkind. They are impatient. They are abusive in their their speech. They are self-centered in their daily lives. And very judgmental of, of others. These are the people that, that spread malicious gossip with great delight. And of course they're very defensive if you try to point out any of the these sins in their, in their lives. They profess in Christians but they don't display this love that we are called to. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary well, he wrote a book called The Love of God. And he had something to say about these types of people. Martino Jones was a medical doctor who gave up his career to become a pastor. And he pastored the Westminster Chapel for, for 30 years. And in his book, this is, this is a quote that he, that he wrote. Oh, my heart grieves and bleeds for them, for these types of people, these professing Christians. He says... They are pronouncing and proclaiming that they are not born of God. They are outside the life of God. There is no hope for such people unless they repent and turn to Him. And John's first point is because God is love, we are His true children. Then we must love one another. If we are unable to do that, then we really need to examine ourselves. I mean, what's the point of professing to be a Christian and you just end up dying one day, standing before God, and He says to you, I do not know you, depart from me. And your faith is in all your works, your faith is in all your rituals. Lord, I've been to church for so many years. Lord, I've read the Bible for so many years. Lord, I I took communion for so many years. I was even baptized. You have to let me into heaven. And the Lord says, depart from me. I don't know you. So it's imperative, folks, that we examine our hearts. It's imperative that we look at ourselves and see whether we really have this agape love that comes from God Himself. And may I add that from the sermon last week, we saw that loving each other is, is displayed in our not-forsaking together, together with the saints. That's part of this love. How can we love each other when we never see each other? How can we know each other when we're never with each other? It stands to reason, does it not? It's kind of difficult to love and develop relationships with those that we don't spend time with. So this is very important. It's part of God's design. That we love like He loves. And it takes effort. It takes intentionality. So we need to make this effort. We need to make sure first and foremost that we truly are of God. That we have been born of God. That we understand this love. That we know this love. And that we share this love. My second point is in verse 9 and verse 10. God showed His love by sending His Son as the propitiation for our sins. So John says that Jesus came to this world so that we might live through Him. Notice that phrase in verse 9, live through Him. In other words, we are dead without Him. Without Him, there is no life. He sent His Son that we might live through Jesus. So if we have not been born again, we are spiritually dead. And we might be living physically. We might be knowing what's going on around us. We may read the newspaper. We may have friends. We even may have a, have a flourishing career. But that doesn't mean that we have spiritual life. It could mean that you are spiritually dead. A relationship with God does not exist if we are not born of God. If we do not have this agape love We are dead in our sins. So Christianity is not primarily a matter of a person deciding to to stop a a certain sinful practice. Well, because now I'm a Christian, I'm gonna stop drinking. Or Christian, I'm gonna stop smoking. And then we become more moral and become better behaved. That that's what the Pharisees did, folks. The Pharisees on the outside were, were squeaky clean. They they, they had these wonderful robes and they said the right things and they, they did the right things. But the Lord says about these Pharisees in the inside they were rotting corpses. They were like these shrines. These shrines that on the outside were painted white, beautiful to look at. But on the inside they were rotting corpses. And the Lord had a word for those Pharisees He called them hypocrites. He called them hypocrites. So Christianity is not about just moralism. Just making sure that we behave in the the right way. It's not a matter of changing from being a non-religious person to a religious person. Christianity is, is a heart issue. Christianity is a matter of God giving us new life. We who were dead in our sins needed this new life. And I'm sure with I'm sure that when the name of our our church was chosen, this was the idea behind it. New Life Church. Those who have been regenerated. Those who have been given life by God Himself. So now that new life manifests itself in the way that we behave. Behavior doesn't come first. New life in Christ comes first. But what follows is this love is our behavior. And as born-again people who have experienced God's love, we need to display His love to this wicked world, the world that crucified the the Son of God. We are now this mirror that reflects the love of God to the world around us, the world that, that hates Jesus. Look at verse 10. In this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So that we don't get our focus on ourselves or get puffed up with pride over how how loving we are or how good we are. John directs us back to God's love here. He directs us back to God's love as seen in His sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is all of God. It's not about us. That's what he's saying. Propitiation means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward our sin. Let me repeat that. Propitiation means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward our sin. So his love didn't just just brush aside our sin or or close, close a turn a blind eye towards our sin or or just sweep it under the carpet. Because He is holy and because he He is just, He had to judge our sins. He couldn't compromise on that at all. There had to be a payment for our sins because He is holy in every possible way. He's not like the judges we know about in our context, in our world, in our age. There's no corruptness in Him at all. But because He is love, God sent His Son. He provided a way for us so that we wouldn't be destroyed by His judgment, which we deserved. He sent His Son who would take this penalty for our sins, who bore this penalty that we rightly deserved. And remember, this initiative was totally with God. It was all of Him. He didn't wait until, until we showed some promise of change. He didn't wait until He saw that, that we were good. Well, he didn't even wait until we cried out. It tells us in Romans 5 verse 8. But God shows, the KJV says demonstrates, which I think is a better, a better translation, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't go seeking after Christ, folks. God in his love came seeking after us. This is agape love. This is nothing about ourselves. It's not that we cried out, Oh God, please do something for me. As a matter of fact, all men, including you and me, are just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Remember once sin entered the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were hiding from the Lord. They saw their nakedness and they were hiding from the Lord. We are all like that, folks. We don't go running after God. We go hiding away from God because our darkness, our sin is exposed by His radiant light, His radiant holiness. We cannot stand before Him. He is holy. We weren't the recipients. We we didn't initiate God's love. We received His love. Were we deserving? Not at all. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 5 that we we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God. We weren't his friends. He tells us in, in Romans 3 that all of us have sinned. He tells us in Romans 6 that the wages of those sins is death. This is not a transaction. Salvation is the free gift of God, given to undeserving sinners like you and me. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7 quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Let me read this for you. It was not because you were more in number than any other people, That the Lord set his love on you and chose you. He's talking about the Israelites here. For you are the fewest of all people. Look at verse 8. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why did the Lord choose the Israelites? I mean, these were nomads. People wandering in the desert. They hadn't built anything great. They didn't have this fantastic economy. They were, they were nomads wandering in the desert. There was nothing great about them. Well, it tells us. That's the point. The Lord chose him because of his love. And that's the same principle today for those who call themselves God's children. God didn't choose you because he saw some, something wonderful inside of you. He didn't choose you because of a degree that you've earned or because that you have parents who were involved in the church or or deacons or pastors. The Lord didn't choose you because of your bank account or because of your good looks. He chose you simply because of his character, because he is love. His love initiated this wonderful free gift of grace. When we think of John 3.16, we all say, For God so loved the world that He gave us His begotten Son. Maybe we should read it. God so loved the world that He gave us His Son. We didn't deserve that. We must not think that we were even able to to love God. We couldn't. There is no sense in which our nature was lovable to God before He saved us. We were selfish in every possible way. And since God has so loved us, John comes to the conclusion here. And this conclusion is inescapable. My third point, look at verse 11 and verse 12. Therefore, we ought to love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also... Ought to love one another. So God's unconditional love for us is the basis for our conditional love for others. And if everyone were easy to love, we wouldn't need this powerful example of God's love, or this, or the strong exhortation to love one another. Look at that word "ought." The word "ought" there in verse eleven. This implies obligation. It implies a commandment here. You know, that love can be commanded, shows that it is not, not primarily a feeling, but rather an action that is based on commitment. And we've, we've spoken about this previously. Remember, love is a verb. Love is a doing word. It is an action. It's not a feeling. All we need is love. It's, it's not like that, folks. It's not a feeling. It's not a warm, fuzzy feeling, an all gooey feeling. It is a choice. It is a choice. It's based on an action, based on commitment. So love is, of course, not devoid of feeling. I'm not saying that we, we don't have feelings in our love, but it's not based on our feelings. We must love others, or simply we are being disobedient to God's command. And this command to love one another is presented as a, as a privilege as well as a responsibility. A privilege and a responsibility. You know, after we realize and believe in what Christ did for us on the cross, our normal response ought to be to love Him and to love one another. And the world loves those that love them. Jesus told us that. But Jesus commands us now as his children to love even our enemies. You know, if I may speak hypothetically here for a moment, I'm sure that no one here can can relate to this. But suppose you have a spouse that is difficult. Suppose you have a spouse that is selfish, difficult to live with. John says, Beloved, if God so loved you, you also ought to love that difficult spouse. There may be people in this church whom, whom you do not like. John says, beloved, if God so loved you, you also ought to love that prickly person, that difficult person. It's in these difficult situations that God's amazing love is demonstrated. It's in these challenging relationships that the love of God is demonstrated when we humble ourselves and love these people without expecting anything else in return. If you're having trouble loving someone, remember that God loved you while you were that prickly person, while you were a sinner. Let's not sugarcoat it. While you were an enemy of God. While you were spitting in his face. That's when God loved you. He sent his son into a world that that is filled with sin. And if you are his child through the new birth, even though you've been saved, now you need to demonstrate this love. You must be the channel for His love to flow to those who may not be very lovable. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It seems to be a little unrelated to this topic of love. But verse 12 starts with, no one has ever seen God. But this is very relevant to this discussion here, very relevant to John's arguments. And what he's saying is, though God throughout history has revealed himself to humans in, in various ways, John is reminding us that no human being has actually seen God in all of his glory. So what has this got to do with love then? Remember, John is, John, John is telling us God is love. And at the same time, he's saying no one has, has seen God. So how then can Can we see what love looks like? Looks like. How is God's love manifested? Well, it was manifested, of course, in the life and the death of Jesus, of course. But where is Christ now? Now that the Son has returned to the Father, how is God's love revealed to the world? Well, this is John's answer. Look at the rest of the verse. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So, how is God's love to be revealed? It's to be revealed in and through His church, through those who are part of the body of Christ. Think about this for a moment. God's love is perfected in us. What does that mean? We know that God's love is perfect in nature, and God doesn't need us to make his love any better. So, so what then does this verse mean? Well, the word for perfect here is the Greek word teleo. It can also be translated as complete, or accomplish, or fulfill. We could translate that verse to say God's love is accomplished or fulfilled in and through the body of Christ. So the church of Jesus Christ, His bride. Remember, God's love is lacking a body. And so by abiding in us, by giving us His Spirit, that's what verse 13 tells us. God now is able to testify through us, through this body. He's able to testify to the world that is lost in their sins that he has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now, one commentator said it like this The greatest argument for the God revealed in Jesus Christ is the love of God displayed in his people. Let me repeat that. The greatest argument for the God revealed in Jesus Christ is. Is the love of God displayed in His people? There's a song by Casting Crowns, a Christian group, called If We Are the Body. Um, I think that song will help us explain this this thought this morning. Let Let me read the lyrics for you. The song says, It's crowded in worship today as she slips in trying to fade into the faces. The girl's teasing laughter is carrying farther than they know, farther than they know. But if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? There is a way. The next verse says, a traveler is far away from home. He sheds his coat and quietly sinks into the back row. The weight of their judgmental glances tells him that his chances are better out on the road. But, if we are the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is His love not showing them there is a way? There is a way. Jesus paid much too high a price for us to pick and choose who should come. And we are the body of Christ. I think this is a perfect application to this passage this morning. And I'm sure that the Apostle John is simply trying to tell us that what Jesus taught him. Remember Jesus said in the Gospels of John chapter 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This agape love needs to be demonstrated in and through us, folks. You know, we make great professions. But we have to remember that if we truly belong to the Lord God, we have to see it. We can't just Talk about it. We have to really see in the lives of the saints of God some sort of expression, some manifestation, some display of the sacrificial love of the eternal God. God's love is completely different than the world's love, folks. So the question this morning is, do people see Christ in you? Do they see the love of God demonstrated in you from day to day. To love in any other way is to simply love as the world loves. Not that this is bad, but as long as we love no differently than the rest of society, we will not convince people of the reality of Christ, of the reality of His love, of this agape love of this sacrificial love. If we are to expect the people of our community to come to know Christ, we must love them. We must love each other. And we must encourage each other. And we must provoke each other to love and good works. And may God, in His grace, enable us to do this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to this earth. Thank you for initiating this atonement. Thank you for being the propitiation for our sins. We who never deserved any of it, Lord. But we are grateful and thankful this morning, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. Lord, please, we pray as we hear these words. Help us to understand this. Help us to understand the significance and the application, Lord, that we would love. I don't know everybody's hearts here this morning, but I do know, Lord, that we all have room to improve in the way that we love each other. So, Lord, please, may the Spirit of God apply your word to us this morning that we would display your agape love to the world around us in need. And may we encourage each other to do that for the sake of your great name and for our joy. We pray this prayer. Amen.